Hey everybody, how's it going? Yes, welcome back to the Houseless Podcast. My name is Peter Agostin with an all new episode with a very unique gentleman by the name of Johnny Edwards. John E. Edwards. And how do I frame this exactly? Johnny is a one of a kind kind of character. I met him just by chance at a dinner party uptown a couple months ago that Coty Mundy had invited me to. And um, he ended up giving me a ride downtown with a buddy of his. And we ended up hanging out afterwards. And uh, I, I kind of got to know these guys. And, and Johnny is, uh, you know, he's sort of like from another era. Um, and very charismatic, unique guy. Now, you may... Some people out there actually really might be very familiar and, and excited to hear this because they, because if you know him, then you, you'll he's an unforgettable character. And uh, but since I met him, we've hung out a couple different times, and it's always like a he's extremely fun, affable. Um, I think I caught him in rare form this the, this evening because I don't think he's done a long form interview in in quite a long time. But we had a great time, I think, and um, we. Got. I tried to talk about his his career as a musician, but we really talked a lot about his life and his family, and it traces back to the origins of this country, and um, to Decatur Street in New Orleans, and uh, a Creole family that moved to Los Angeles in the '40s, and uh, the origins of the lottery in America, and I, I wanted to try to get to this theory of black excellence uh in my conversation with johnny although we we didn't really dig our heels into it too deeply but his family and the lineage of them is absolutely incredible um he gave me a lot and i'm very grateful for that i'm hoping that we can maybe do another conversation down the line where we get much more specific to the music because we were talking about all types of things i mean this is the nephew of Ella Fitzgerald and Ernie Banks, the, the famed Chicago Cub baseball player. And we talk about Sun Ra and uh, Chuck Mosley, the late lead, original lead singer of Faith No More, Arthur Lee, uh, among many, many things. I, I mean, I know him through Koti Mundi and, and for, for a period of time, I think he was hanging out with Kid Creole and the Coconuts. And you know, there's a documentary out there you can find. It's floating out there. Johnny Edwards is in love that I, I think would be worth checking. And even like he had like a TV pilot, like for sort of like a restaurant entertainment kind of talk show thing um, called Johnny Edwards is in the mix. In the mix, um, all great stuff. So it's difficult for me to preface this too much because there isn't a ton of. Uh, stuff on him online but obviously i opened the show with some of his music i'm going to close the show with some of his music and the guy is is pretty incredible i hope that maybe one day i can help write a story or a script of some kind that's based off some of his experiences or something that's more just you know he's a guy that a lot of like a-list actors and and famous people like having around but it's his story is is pretty incredible and it cuts beyond the entertainment industry into the deep fabric of of america in the history of this country um 
So we talk about all, all types of stuff, race, and he's really got the, um, he's really steering the ship on this conversation. So I'm happy to share it. I was pleased to have the time with Johnny. Um, I think by the end we sort of got, uh, it was it was kind of going all over the place. So, uh, but I think what we have is a really amazing conversation and hopefully you guys will dig it. Uh, please subscribe. Uh, smash that like button as they say and um, you know you can find us on iTunes Google Play Stitcher SoundCloud anywhere you find podcasts it's called the houseless podcast my name is Peter Agostin I'm the host and producer of the show and this episode is edited and engineered by my best buddy CJ Stewart thanks so much to CJ to all our listeners and to all the people that subscribe I really appreciate it as always gonna keep this thing moving and grooving for y'all if you have any suggestions hit me up you can find us on the soundcloud page there's a lot of contact information there at the houseless podcast all right so why don't we jump into this this was recorded deep in the east village new york city on memorial day in the evening in a very new york like apartment it was a very he's a he's a he's one of a kind he, he harkens back to another era and um I respect him deeply and I appreciate his time with this conversation. So let's check it out only here on the house list. I hope you enjoy. Uh, you know, but we we actually come from uh, Decatur Street, you know, and I'm really Creole, you know. So for me, I, like uh, when I now that we've kind of hung out a couple of times, it seems like, you know, there's a there's a New York story that's associated with you. And there's a Los Angeles story that that and is, London story. OK, that part I didn't know. But so, but were you you were born in New York City or where were you? Born? No, I was born in California. Okay. My parents are from um, uh, the Deep South, right? Beaumont, Texas, um, Baton Rouge, right? Uh, San Antonio, uh, Austin. My father was born. Okay, so Texas De- and Louisiana. Well, right. D- Decatur Street, which is right. where they sold slaves. Mm. So my parents went. You know, they were they. We know where we're from. Mm. We, we come from the Decatur Street in New Orleans. That was the original Edwards, uh, you know, three donkeys and a, uh, uh, a dog. Right. We ended up uh, developing, uh, you know, multiculturalism, which happened in that vicinity where the mm-hmm. Indians and the Mexicans mm-hmm. and the French and the Africans, they mixed, you know, and I come from that culture. Uh, we have uh, systems of thought that are not that are out of the ordinary, and uh, they were basically cowboys, black cowboys. You know, do do, do you go back? Yeah, there as a child, yeah, your family was. Year. Yeah, okay. And my fa- my mother was wealthy. You know, okay, wealthy a uh, landowner from uh, the I think the well, the president of the University of Virginia was my grandfather's grandfather or some shit so did you did you know your grandparents pretty well, well i mean i knew them they died at 103 and 105 wow. and they were with me all my life i didn't have a babysitter oh wow no so i come from very close like i said we had alternative economy right and a big family too right i mean even this picture oh, up hundreds. here yeah hundreds Right. But we stuck together, and we didn't have uh, color as an object, or because we're coming from a mixture of that environment. Okay, you know, I mean, our, that environment is like when you look at my brother, you see the same features, 
but you see like maybe you know uh, this is your brother in that middle picture right that's you yeah and yeah you say and there's another one that's between him and us uh-huh. and then there's another that's my grandfather who's west indian and african and that's my grandmother that's pure uh native american you know wow. so but that was a normal course you know that wasn't a unique situation you right. know uh, they kind of hid that history. It's like uh, Americans didn't give you the history. Right. But my grandfather was a, kind of a scholar, so he gave us, he embedded our real history verse, like, uh, I mean, you could even go, I mean, you you can go back. I mean, uh, I mean, most people wanted to work. One of the problems that we had is... Uh, one of the real problems we we had and when we uh, became uh, equal whites is that we lost our culture there trying to be something that, you know, that would fit in with the the status quo. Mm -hmm. And uh, we never made dough, you know. I mean, Ella, she went on the road, my aunt's Ella Fitzgerald, so she went on the road, you know, 15 years old, uh, you know, like adopted and her mother died, you know, but became the best in the game, you know? I mean... Do you remember, I, as a child, did they tell you stories of her? Experience? No, I lived with her. And really? Her, yeah, her son lived in my uh, my mother's front yard in a, a, a Volkswagen Beetle uh, wow. van, in a van. Uh, as a hippie. Yeah. Right. So what year are we... T- what ballpark, what year is that? Oh, 74 to like 80... I mean, I left home in 1980. You left L.A. in 1980. Yeah, right. I left Beverly Hills. Okay. Like, my L.A. is not uh, a socially, be- be- you know, I wasn't, I was raised in Hollywood. Okay. My mother's never even been to the Valley. Right. She's never been to uh, the Valley. She's never gone past Little Canyon. Right, right. And she's not gone. I mean, we would have family that lived in uh, South Central. We've never been there. So it was mostly in West L.A. is where you spent your time. Well, Beverly Hills and Hollywood. Hollywood. Between those two. Which yeah. are, that's two very specific parts of L.A. Very, have their yeah, own I'm like a character. bitch, you know. I'm like a, <laughs> like a bitch. And, you know, nah. the thing is, is I'm a gangster bitch. So I take it personal. You can call me, you know, yeah, you know. He socialized in a weird environment being born in Hollywood, growing up in Hollywood. It, well, uh, weird to some. I guess it's a relative term. Well, uh, I, I mean, I went to New York. I ended up at Chelsea Hotel, and I ended up living the rest of my life in uh, the village. Right. So as an African-American man, uh, you know, everything's in my name. And, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I know there's not a lot of guys walking around here stable, you know. Sure. So, you know, I mean, I just stabilized my environment and kept going as we did when we got... We're not from California. We're not California guys. When did your folks get to California? 49. Well, that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's... Uh... Well, that was where the jobs were. Sure. Okay. So and that's where Texas. my mom could get a different education, right. you know. And we bought uh, these mansions... That it became the African American Museum. We bought them in uh, nineteen. My mo- my grandmother followed behind her daughters, mm-hmm. and they bought this property and they sold the property in um, in Texas and they moved to these these uh, 
these big houses, you know. And my 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 uncles were involved in alternative um, the the African American economy and the African American power struggle within you know within there was a there was a situation with African Americans where we were separated to some extent, but there was a negotiation because we had our own economy. Mm. And um, specific to Hollywood or to Los Angeles, the world, right? You know, before Lotto, before Lotto. Oh, right. Yeah, that's yeah. something we talked about a while ago. Yeah. Before Lotto, my uncles ran it. Right. Before the lottery. Right. There was a thing called the numbers, you know. Right, and, right. Uh, Well, which people kind of associate with well, they, the No, movies. they actually stole the numbers. That was the one thing that we had. Okay, there so. It was a barber shop, beauty shop, uh, bordel, bordegos, right. liquor stores. You get the numbers every day, and my my uncles ran that. And so then for what horse races? What are we talking everything. about? Everything, sports, everything. You know, right. we had our own uh, casinos. Okay. You know, so uh, when that got kind of taken over around 1979, 1980, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a big hit to uh, African American culture and a big hit to multicultural, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we, it, it was shattering for us because um, I really think that when we started to not have our own economy and a private economy that wasn't based on uh, uh, America, right? Uh, that's when there was a real problem, right? And uh, um, you know, I mean, the artists are always were always paying. Uh, I mean, to be honest, uh, entertainers and artists in African-American culture, I would say that they pay, they get taxed on 100% and they get about 20 to 30% of their income. Right. Even right. the greatest, right. you know. Well, what, what, what do you remember Ella Fitzgerald being like? Just a wonderful girl, woman and just the best, best person you could ever be around. Did she talk about the business? Did she no, talk? no. She was just home, you know. My mom was kind of the center of um, of how it feels to be loved and how it feels to be raising kids and right. you know I come I mean literally my grandfather walked me and I held his hand to school with my dog <laughs> at six thirty in the morning. Uh-huh. Um, that's my reality, and they only lived a block from me. What was the school? What schools did you go to? This is elementary. Well, Wilshire, Wilshire Crest right, on uh, on Olympic. <clears throat> but well, you know, we were like a center of what happens when you let uh, when you love each other. Yeah, it sounds like a beautiful story from even from what we've talked even about. Even our worst day is better than most people's. Right. My kids, I, I mean, when I hear about bipolar and they're all right. being, my kids have never even got traffic tickets. Most of them, well, a few right. of them are. Well, we're allowed, you're allowed. You know, we, well, no, we were not, and we broke a lot of uh, barriers in every division between politics and music and art. We broke them because we didn't have the boundaries that to prove anything. Right. There was another economy that we could rely on. Right. So that, what did your parents, what were, What did they do? Like when you were My mother's up? a master's degree teacher uh-huh. in... Um, 
and um, she was um, special education. Uh huh. Okay. And um, but my grandfather had his own school. Oh, amazing! And he's R. B. Johnson. He's found one of the founders of the NAACP. Incredible. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really it sounds incredible, but it's just my daily life. You right. know, I'm sure as a kid in incredible. the moment, it didn't. It was just more of norm, a normal. Yeah, story. man. I mean, little, literally, little Richard in the fucking having breakfast at seven in the morning <laughs> in a pink fucking house dress was not like out of the ordinary. Why? Because he just stayed at the house. Or no, something? he lived across the street, and he would come over. Yeah. Right. Yeah, people. I mean, we were a stable family. Yeah. In terms of uh, uh, our upbringing, you know, and then we had a bad thing, you know. We had some bad things happen. Everybody thought we would be like a nice family, you know, like the perfect mm. American family. But we didn't, we didn't come in, a, you know, I'm a son of a slave. Mm. We didn't come in on niceties, you know. I'm not yeah. like, you know, I'm not like shying away from white boys that disrespect me or my parents, you know. Right. It'll it can go another way with it. And I've been able to get older. We were you know, we're big guys, you know. Right. We, we you know, I mean I think when we started mixing it up and we start trusting, you know, I mean two donkeys and a fucking dog mm. will make you kind of upset, you know. I mean I Absolutely. did a movie I've done movies in New Orleans with the police having to listen to me and I think I'm in on Decatur Street with, uh, uh, you know, uh, with the nice coffees and all that. And I'm thinking, wow, that's where I actually come from. And now I'm telling the cops, yo, man, tighten this up over here. Right. And it's a very much a freeing thing. It's a revolution. Right. You know, so, I mean, we, I mean, I, I don't want to say anything because it's like, okay, I, I actually know that. I feel that. When the when we started blending and we went to malls and we started going Gucci right. and we started not uh we're not we weren't including our environment and our profit margin with our own people, that's when it went crazy. Mm-hmm. Because then they stole they already stole rock and roll. Right. I mean Pat Boone's doing, you know, Lil Richard records. They uh you know, they've always taken our shit. And the weirdest thing about it, I mean, this is with my older uncles and the abstract painters are my uncles. Big shout out to uh, uh, Bill Hudson. Big shout out to Al Loving. They they helped raise me, but they set the pace for the history of art. Right. So when I look at them, I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, we got to work with it, but it wasn't the best thing for us to reinforce the middle class, you know, mm. like I've n- I mean? never participated in my, my, you know, I mean, because of our alternative uh, reality in terms of where we come from, right. they would drop me off in middle class houses to fuck shit up. <laughs> what do you, what do you mean? Well, what they would fuck shit up. Well, that we, they did. My dad was like, he worked, he had two two companies Mm -hmm. he worked six days a week my mom raised probably 50 kids right we had other people's kids everybody she took everybody in yes I mean we we just it was a mission it's a real mission it was like a private uh, it was private civil rights Hmm. because we didn't really 
uh, trust the civil rights people because they weren't legit, you know? Mm. Like, our unlegitimacy was based on survival, but the, the guys that were legit, that in there, you look at the media, you look at, I mean, even now, you look at the media and you look at the guys that are on TV and all, they're gonna like go in a room and make a deal for you to not have the best life that you can have. Right. You know, they're gonna make a deal for them because, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's the lights or something. Some something happens, right? Where they become that's more important than just being fair and honest and being a good person, you know. Like, I mean, I don't know if it's human nature, right? Like, I wonder what America it's maybe the American way, no, no, but it could happen, it happens everywhere in the world. I mean, I think this now we've they've like it's funny because we have the social media situation, right. So when we got the social media, the social media said like, oh, you know, the good thing about the social media is you can reach out to your family and friends from all over the world and you can can converse with them. Yeah. And then it turned into like, wait a minute, we're studying your profile. Yeah, your habits. Yes. So we can market you. And you know, you're like, wow, this shit is too good to be true. And it, it's like, I come from the deep bayou, my parents do. Mm-hmm. We know when white people tell you it's too good to be true, it ain't true, and it ain't too good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, you know what I'm saying? That's the bottom line. Right. So, you know. To be able to kind of get a sense of where your own your music career, where your, your sense of, of uh, starting your own... Yeah. Artistry comes 14. out of it comes out of this. Yeah, fourteen. So, 14. so you're still in LA, right? Yeah. So what'd you well, what's go, happening? Did you... I was a kid. I was about twelve years old, right? And girls didn't like me. Okay. Because I'm like not the prettiest guy in the room, you know. <laughs> okay. And so always girls would, you know, like the other guy, the guy that was like more like a, a Mac or right. a hustler, disco guy. Sure. The girls never liked me, you know? So then I had a magic moment where, because I had a, a basketball court in my backyard, guys would come over to play ball. Right. So I, all of a sudden, I, I could just hit, hit, I could just shoot. Yeah. I could just shoot, fucking shoot. So I could just shoot. And then uh, because of the abuse I took from both from the white people and the black guys, they weren't that good with me. You know, they left me alone because of my uncles, you know. Right, I mean, right. everyone left me alone. Like, I never was in any gang affiliations. Why, because you were perceived different from, from both? Well, yes. no, we were, we were gangsters. Okay. I come from gangsters, okay? We don't, we were, you might not, I mean, I want to go there, but yeah, I mean, you, I, I you're not waking you're, up, right. you know. Okay. I mean, and it's not like, it's real. Right, okay. You know, it's it's Texas Louisiana rules, right? And we didn't want to. We had a big fight with the the uh, American uh, United States f- to be in t- for Texas. Okay, well, the Alamo. What do you mean? Like there was a war yes. between Texas and the United States, right? To not be a part of the United States, right? Right. And that's where I come from. There was a war. Yeah, yeah. 
So, but, and then, as this... We don't feel like these people are going to be great to us. Right. Well, yeah, I understand. So, go, okay, so going back to the basketball court in the backyard, then what? Yeah, yeah, I was just good at it, and then it was like magic, and then, you know, I like girls, but they didn't like me, I had big ears, lightest guy in the game, you know, whatever, they didn't like us, whatever. Then I started putting in a hoop, you know, then I started, I went to uh, the, the Y in Beverly Hills, I was there when I was like 12, 11, and it was just something I loved to do. And uh, then I went to UCLA, and I was like, you know, 14 years old playing against grown men. Uh-huh. Some magic shit. It was like, to me, basketball was magic, like I feel about music. Right. And art, like, you know. It's like, okay, this is some magic shit that God just gave me. You know, it's like a God blessing. I touch the ball, goes in the rim. Uh, people like me more. Sure. So then uh, I did that, and uh, then of the... The, the Beverly, the, the the Hollywood school, uh, basically, um, uh, they hired me, whatever. When they come to your house, what is that? What's a recruit? Recruited me to go there, right? right? And so my parents were like, cool, you know, let's go. You know, you're you're 13 years old, 14 years old. And then uh, I had a, a, a drama teacher. Okay. I had a drama teacher. I always had a problem with the fact that I come from a different culture, you know. Like, I actually, uh, I have always loved beautiful women, mm-hmm. and they've always been able to relate to me on a non-sexual way. About this kid, you know, I grew up with nine beautiful women in my house every day. Right, okay. For, you know, I don't know, all my life, you know. So, you know, I looked at teachers... Uh, probably more mature than most kids, you know. Right, right. Uh, and so they would sympathize. I had teachers like seven years old. I remember I had a kid, I had a teacher, I was about seven years old. She had to take me privately. And she was like uh, like right out of the mod squad or something. <laughs> okay. She had to take me privately because she knew it was going to hurt me more than it hurt everyone else. Why, because you had when she got married. Her. Right. You had a crush on her, you know. Right. Oh, and I'm she, not a. I'm not, she, told, she need to let you down easy to let you know that yeah, she's getting that married. Is, you know, I'm not gonna be your uh, girl because I was like, <laughs> uh, I don't really like men. Oh, I never yeah, really. Okay. I re- actually, I didn't have to like men. You know, I like my grandfather, and I like my gr- my father. Okay. And most African American men, they don't even know their father. Mm. Like, you know, I mean, I would get in trouble, and I would just be like, uh, okay, let my dad. Like, I had to tell one guy. Uh, Yes, in high school. What was it in high junior high? Let me think. High school, mm-hmm. and uh, they I had uh, assaulted uh, somebody, and uh, but it was it was, you know, it was it was well well you know, but I'm not gonna walk away you know like peace and peace and happiness, mm-hmm. and I was in real big trouble, and they were gonna paddle me, okay, and uh, at school at school. And I, my father's like a Brooks Brothers, you know, like legitimate, a part of America's fabric guy. Okay. So I told him, like, look, you really need to call him because I don't think they're going to work with this. You know, we're we're from we're from the deep south. We don't they don't really work with people, hit, strangers hitting their kids. You know, right. it's going to go bad. You know, I mean, sure. really, it might go really bad. Right. You know, so he was understood it, and he waited for my father to count. 
and then my father well like one of the problems with american culture is like most people they just i mean a lot of our culture throughout the prominence of our culture they feel like you have the kid but you don't have to raise the kid mm. and i think because we come from the country and we come from ranches and farms our best friends had to be our cousins because mm-hmm. right. we got fucking a hundred acres right so we love them yeah and yeah. we, we okay. you know and most people i mean i don't know what the northerners i mean i don't know why i've been successful in the north but a lot of like um I've, a lot of Texans have been very successful in New York City mm-hmm. because we we don't have boundaries. Based From that on, generation, you mean? No, all just Texas, right. just right. Louisiana. Right. Our boundaries are limitless because we know where we came from. Yeah, which I think even in, in right now and in, in the way that, you know, society and media is moving and, you know, going thinking back to that this kind of period of time of like when you grew up and but even when when your my grandparents experience and your grandparents experience was like it it is a very you know visceral and and you know physical connection to a very very different era in this country too well the success of being able to read you know my grandfather had uh what they call the little red schoolhouse okay i think i've heard of this uh, he on his land he built a schoolhouse, and my mom started teaching at like fifteen years old. Amazing. Okay. And my grandfather's master's degree, R. B. Johnson, right. intellectual, um, like metaphysical, um, um, a brilliant man. Mm. And he got books because it was illegal to read. Right. right. In his reality, in his period, and even my father's, illegal to read. Which is incredible to think of how, how so what that would even be like. But he had his cousins that had schoolhouses, so he would let the cousins get the books to his property, right? And then he would have African American kids learn to read. My mom's done it. I mean, we, that's the thing; it was illegal. So we were reading. I read it six years old. You know. Um, these, you know, these barriers that they put up were unbelievably uh, complex and so mean, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, even when I see uh, African, like the African uh, culture in Europe. Right. I'm like, wow, you know, they speak all these languages. They have their yeah. own habits. And, you know, I mean, you guys didn't discover anything. You basically went to the lowest common denominator, which is murder and, and pillage. You mean here in America? America and Europe too. Sure, Europe's not sure. No, like, like now Europe's brown, right? When I first went to Europe, wasn't brown. Well, yeah. I mean, what your first trips there were what, in the in the eighties? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it was becoming brown. Yeah. But it wasn't being like. I mean, to me, the most interesting thing about being alive is getting with another culture mm-hmm. and being finding out what they do right. and what makes them different. I I don't want to carry any cultures around. And my, my father was like that. Father's the most non-racist man. I mean, in African culture, you develop this racism. Right. My father was like the only guy, black guy that worked for his company. 
and I pretty much didn't realize that he was the 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 the, the, the figurehead in the African American culture because in America money's just green. So they had him because his psyche was that, you know, let's just see everyone, you know? Right. Like let's let's I mean my parents loved everybody. You well know? they obviously must have dealt with some extreme racism too in their day. Well, I, I mean, that. look, man, I had to kick my uncle out of they gave me a Johnny Edwards day. Uh huh. What where? Uh in Texas, okay. South by Southwest, so one for best film. Uh huh. And I have my, my aunt and I got so many tricks. From, I didn't really get tricked because I was with like these millionaires that promote produce right. it, but I, my own culture because I I was always like the outsider even in my own culture mm. you know you know so well uh, as a, as as a as a Creole man is that what as you mean? a uh, son of a, of uh, gangsters yeah okay I got you I'm yeah. trying to, I'm trying like, to better you understand know, I mean you look you want to be. You know, you want to be working up, you know, working as a, you know, postal officer or whatever. You know, I mean, the mayor of Los Angeles' wife was my mother's best friend. Right, okay. So, uh, Dorothy Dandridge was my mother's friend. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but our money didn't come from association. Like, they were not very much approving the fact that I got in the entertainment business. But it all came from shooting basketball. Right. But you were making a point um, about your, your dad, which I think is kind of... Yeah, important. it's incredible that he had no racist behavior hmm. at all. I mean, he actually... And this is in... You're talking about the 40s. 40s, 50s, right. 60s, right. 70s. Somehow he was a wonderful, wonderful person. And um, I mean, we have this thing called Gwigui. What's that? Uh, Gwigui is Creole voodoo. Okay. And so my mom put a spell on my dad. Uh-huh. My dad stuttered like a monkey, was raised in a fucking poverty. He ended up like graduating from USC. Immaculate man, um, no stuttering. I mean What was the spell? It was to what? Well they I don't know. I mean there was a tarot spell, whatever. Right, right. But there's a real thing. I mean, I'm a son of that spell. Right. You know, and there was a real there's a spell. I don't know if it comes from Africa, wherever it comes from. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he ended up like... My mom's is sprinkled over my dad now. Like, literally. They're ashes. My mom's sprinkled over my dad. Okay. In death. Yes. There's no more to say. That's a beautiful thing. Not beautiful. No? He wasn't really... He didn't buy into this shit. Okay. <laughs> he was like... Okay, he could have gone another way. Right, right. It was a spell. Right. And that's what makes soul music so incredible. That's what makes uh, Muddy Waters, uh, you can name it. And that's when, like, I'm not the best singer in the world. I've never been the best entertainer. But somehow they go bananas. When I, you know, it's just like, the, you know, it all goes from, I didn't know. I had no idea. I've been like, okay, there's in God takes over. You know, or whatever you call it. He takes over, you Were know. You, what, did you start playing sh- shows in L.A.? Or was it At until you 15. got to New York? So you were doing, you were kind of, did you play actual gigs? Yeah, I played with fucking uh, the, uh, Red Hot Chili. I mean, yeah, all the sounds you heard in the 90s right. came mm-hmm. out of five garages in Hollywood. Okay, so this kind of punk, funk, 
thing mm-hmm. because you're right yeah. about to say red hot chili peppers i mean no the- no i mean look when i was a teenager i was chasing Susie and the Susie sue from Susie and the Banshees. right um when i saw the clash when they got money okay. when their shoot where their suits got better right. like I, the working class guys i was just supporter all that a uh, black randy in the metro squad which is like the germs yes like i know darby crash nice yeah, like, I mean, I actually, you know, I mean, I... So you and, were going to shows, even as a fan. I was never a fan of any <laughs> of those guys, right. you know, I'm not but, a but fan. But you were there at the, some of those things. Well, no, I mean, they were on my dick, you okay. know. It's the okay. only family that comes from Hollywood, you know. We are right. Hollywood, you right. know. I mean, they were on my dick. Right. My 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 cousin is fucking um, um, uh, Arthur Lee. Amazing. And my other cousin is fucking uh, Danny Ray Thompson from Sun Ra. Yeah, you had mentioned that before, so that's quite a lot. I, I was went on the road with them at nine years old. So what was that experience like? Beautiful. It made me, uh, um, I mean, I'm metaphysical. I don't believe, it's like you have your fa- grandfather says, yo, man, the tree's not the tree. Then you have Sun Ra saying, you know, when you going to play with me? <laughs> and I'm like, yo, never. Right. Like I'm not gonna be bitched up and shit. I'm, was that an actual? You had the opportunity. Happened. No, since I'm nine years old, I've been sitting next to Sunrise. Right. So what? My mother. Now, obviously, a lot of people don't haven't had that opportunity. So you have no to. One you has. have to. No you one have has. To I'll send expound, you the pictures. But you got to expound on that experience just as a child. Well, too. well, you know, as a child, it's just like he was like my grandmother. Right. Him yeah. and my grandmother had. Uh, they had battles. Uh, what do you mean? Well, he would come to dinner at my grandmother's house, and he would do his sunrise shit, and my grandmother would do the Eunice Johnson shit. <laughs> so there was a competition. Right. And they both, we come from metaphysical environments, you know? I mean, I think the multicultural thing, yet being African-American, gave us a jump on things. Right. Like, we don't leave anybody behind. Right. Like, you rolling with me? I'm not leaving you behind. Mm. And I think because of uh, our system, uh, we leave people behind. And I was just taught. I don't know. If, I don't know if it was just based on uh, uh, country living or based mm-hmm. on culture. We just didn't leave anybody behind. And I couldn't go home without all. I mean, there might be seven of us in my my cousins. At seven or eight years old, we didn't go. Home. We couldn't go home without. Like you couldn't say, "Yo, man, I'll, I'll meet you later." Right. Like, yo, we, we can't meet you later. We're, everyone rolls together. We're right. going to roll together. I right. mean, now you're my crew. You're right. part of my crew. And if you notice, I'm not like thinking, I'm, you know, and you can't really do nothing to me because God's leading me. Right, right. It's like you're my dude, you know? So it's just red alert. <laughs> well, yeah. it's funny that you said that too because when we... The last time you and I hung out, it, it was, was like surreal. It, well, it was. It, it doesn't seem that different from what you're describing now because it was happened to be at this opening type situation, that art opening thing, and then you're like, "Do you want you want to roll with me to this party?" And then from that moment on, it was like a very different version of New York City I hadn't seen in a long time that opened up literally as we just you know got in the whip yeah, and started. You know, we around. do cruise shit. Yeah, but you conjure a certain kind of. Uh, there is there's something that comes out of New York City when you're when you venture yeah, out, especially it's after weird. Sunfall, yeah, man. Yeah, I don't know, you know, <laughs> but you know, my privacy has been so 
I mean, the bottom line is a lot of my crew are dead. Mm. And a lot of my crew bought into fame. Right. And so if you haven't sense. had a pink Cadillac, you don't know what a pink Cadillac's like. All right. Well, so. And you realize that the most great, I mean, I've been fortunate to be the, been, man, you know, the most, I mean, I can, I, I've never actually met a cat that had, we broke the color line and we're in history for American, every American. Okay. My uncles broke the color line. They were the best of the best. Well, I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge how I met you in the first place, too, uh, which was also very random. Right. Uh, but it was, uh, ironically enough, with the very first person whom I recorded uh, the first episode of this podcast with, which now I've been doing uh, almost, later this summer, it'll be two years. Wow. Um, and uh, it was Koti Mundi. But he was, I was raised with him at, at 15. But, like, I was with John Travolta and August Arnell, and I was 15 years old, and I worked as an usher in a play, and I saw John Travolta and them do disco dancing. Uh-huh. And then, I, I mean, I look, kid can't walk, drive around in a fucking mark, uh, a burgundy marquee. You know, I mean, it's not like they didn't, we, I mean, literally every season, uh, Saxon Avenue called my grandmother to have a right. private tea. Wow. In the top floor. Like, my, my grandmother would beat your ass, right? And she's like Creole, so you didn't know she was black. Mm-hmm. And then we would follow, we go with her. And she would do like the the sales, and then she would like, oh, it's nice that your maid, you know, you gave your maid the day off, but oh, it was wow. us. Right. And then she would fuck the bitch up, and then Sackville Avenue had to throw the white lady out. Oh wow! Because our money was that deep, you know. Yeah. I mean, we we came into Cali. They thought we were going to be the Kardashians, and we ended up the Sopranos. <laughs> within like yeah, within like. 24 months. Right. Like, they were like, oh, these beautiful, they're gorgeous, they're rich, they're wonderful. And then there was uh, the Murder, Inc., and that kind of fucked it up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about 1949. Like, right, right. Walter Mosley shit. Right. And and you know what? My guys that call me, all my African-American friends that are my best friends, they actually Love know them. my mother, they know us. Love everybody in the world. We got to be international based on us being open. You know, I remember the Italians showing up at my mom's house. I must have been 14 or 15. I was like, how do you know them? And But when I went to Italy, I had an escort. I had a, I, I moved out of my hotel into a villa. Mm-hmm. Like all the shit we did because we were just open. Like, that's my whole thing is like, you know, I mean, take care of your kids. That's all I can tell you. Right. They're going to pay off. My well, kids were, are worth so much more money than me. Right. When I fucking think about my kids have not been there, I don't have a hard luck story. Right. No, it sounds like you had a, a really great uh, childhood, a great upbringing. Well, it right? wasn't great because people don't have loyalty. Right. Yeah. But and I mean, we're not from like Jersey. Right. 
we're like really from the worst. We have, you know, we have like, I, I don't know, um, I, I keep on saying gui gui, but there is like this African um, behavior that I don't understand. Like, I don't understand, you know, I'm a middle class American boy, mm-hmm. and every two weeks, all my aunts show up for tarot card readings. Oh, really? <laughs> and I'm like trying to be middle class. And I'm like having my guys because we had like a very beautiful home. And I had to try to pass them because I want to be, you know, a part of American culture. And I'm like, oh, no, that's something that and it's true for me. It's like something that grown women do. Sure. But they'd be like nine aunts. And they'd be reading these quads. And it's kind of like being a gypsy. Sure. I mean, when I I was around gypsies. Right. I've been around gypsies, I've been around Irish thugs, I've been around mm-hmm. Scottish, like, uh, uh, I've been around Scottish guys that were on the run. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, I've been around, mil- I mean, I, look, at 17 years old, I lived in a mansion in Notting Hill. Really? Nina Cherry is like my close friend. Really? Yeah. So, okay, so that, at the very beginning of our conversation, you mentioned London, so how long did you live there for? I still live there. Well, uh, when did you first get there? I uh, got there at uh, 1980, 81. Interesting. So how? But how they came you... to they came to our house to live with us first. So your family had a home there too, or something? Or what? well, now we have a home there. But we right. we the, I don't even I I that's the thing about me as a youth. Uh-huh. I don't understand how that we had like a villa. You know, uh-huh. our home in California was a villa. Gotcha. There was six bedrooms, and then my grandparents lived five buildings away. That was nine. Then my aunts lived a block away, and that was five. Like, I think they cut up the the properties from Texas, and they came to California thinking that we were going to be able to work with American society. Right. You know, I mean... I mean, uh, my my mother's best, one of her closest friends was the mayor of um, Los Angeles' wife. Yeah, you had mentioned that, yeah. But we came in on some uh, Murder, Inc. things, you know, and we're not even talking about my music. Well, yeah, that's what I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to steer yeah, this to that because yeah, there's so man. much content because your music is... Well, my music is just like we invented this punk rock soul. Right. And everyone lived in my house. Um, now uh, that's in LA. Now I, I would love to talk about Hollywood. when you got. Yeah, but I'd love to talk when you got here because we're well, here we're was in, we're in the East here Village, was, deep in the East Village right here, now. They didn't think I was going to live here. They right. they did. Uh, they thought I was going to come back and be a lawyer. You know, right? Which that and didn't then happen. I mean, when I was a kid, when I went to university, uh, they were going to beat me up. Uh, the the I didn't even know how I got any viewers. I was on acid or something when I took the SIT. Okay. I I don't know what happened, but I ended up in university. Where'd you go to school? Uh University of uh of um what the fuck is that? Northridge. Oh, okay, so in LA. And yeah. We're UC in LA and I'm seventeen. I got out of school early. Uh-huh. But I met a model and I'm like a thug kid that had another name. 
and a uh, very nice car and you know I mean I you, as you know I mean I'm like a, a thug bitch <laughs> that's not how I would uh, necessarily describe you well, I think you're more of like you this... know I'm in I'm in assault rehab right now yeah okay I know you mentioned that but but the guy I know is more of like this kind of uh, renaissance artist yeah 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 you know? which is what what, what I want to be yeah, but I'm I don't like, think of you as a thug or or like a mean well, spirit guy. Yeah, I don't no, know I'm that not side mean, of you. But most guys didn't have their their parents. They didn't so. have an upbringing. Like uh, I've had cats. I mean, I was just with Cody Mundy, and he's like, you know, uh, do you uh, miss your mom? And I was raised where no, you know, I don't. I I love her. I was there. I lost. You know, she put me through so much shit. I really don't miss it because I'm not from a colonial environment. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, I don't romanticize. Me and my brother, we, my brother is, is a very great artist, wonderful cat. We don't do business together. Uh, Ray Brown, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, I mean, I, I got the rights to that story. I can't, you guys didn't work at 15, 14. My my working situation was put upon me because, I mean, there's the youngest boy, you know, I mean, the youngest boy, I'm the youngest, I'm like 12 or 13 years younger than everyone else. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that obviously plays into your story. Too. Well, and it plays into that my mother said, yo, man, I'm taking everything from that nigga. <laughs> and she showed up like a white looking lady. To, to court pregnant with me and uh, the judge actually said to my father do you have any dreams he said of course I do he said well we're taking those too you know Wow. you got this white lady pregnant she's black as she's blacker than him mm. plus he got voodoo on him she, she spread up she spread over him Right. Like now, I got to think about my mother wouldn't even let him die happily. Mm. She said, she spread over him. Like, what family does that? Right. Her appearance in your movie, though, she seems like a very warm the warm. No, she didn't do anything mean. That's where she, we come from. Right, right, right. It's like we actually come from more, we're more African than the Africans. Right, okay. Because we actually don't leave anybody behind. Like, right. you're in my crew now. Right. You know, I'm about to get another bottle of wine. <laughs> you know, you're in my crew, you know? Uh, and literally, she was my girlfriend. Okay. And my family, you know, when you come from pink Cadillacs and niggas in, you know, uh, 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 Superfly gear, and, you know, you got uh, fucking Lil Richard's pink fucking poodle right. in the living room, and he's trying to get some grits. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I miss so much. The mornings that we had, it's legendary. Up. Yeah, it's just like something I've never seen, and I don't think it's been recorded because black people are so on America's dick. Hmm. You know, I mean, everybody I meet, I'm like the freakiest nigga in the room. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like what? And then I'm like, okay, when I was a kid, you know, there was a kid that used to rob me. Okay. I was walking with my grandfather, and his, he didn't know his father. His mom was a street hoe. He went to the same school as me. I'm about six, seven years old. 
I'm holding my fu- grandfather's fucking hand going right. to school. Right. And uh, my dog is with us, and he wasn't on a leash. Okay. My dog, his name was Jay. <laughs> and it was like my grandfather, he had his own hell. Because he's rich motherfucker with this Creole ass voodoo right. bitch as his wife. Who like just didn't do shit. I don't know. She just cooked soul food. Okay. Yeah. Well, she was a homemaker. Uh, that might be one. Would you say that? Like, Well, homemaker's lot. different. But, you know, we were... Her friends had, on Sundays, they were allowed to come to our villa. Right. Uh, from one until three in the afternoon or four. Right. They were like the most prominent people in that arena. Right. But that's what friends were. They had Sunday from one. It was like some tea party shit. Sure. And, you know, I mean, yeah. So all my fucked up behavior, and when I go thug, it's just because, you know, I mean, I got abused, you know. People were, you know, my, my I mean, my, my girlfriend was like, why do you sleep in a, a, a linear manner? I'm like, well, you know, that's, you know, I mean, I just had to keep my spot. Right, right. Well, there's a you lot know? of kids around. There's a lot of people. Yeah, there was like, oh, man, yeah. And, I, you know, we got the Bankses, Ernie Banks's kids. Right, so you mentioned that. So, yeah, Ernie Banks, the famed Chicago Cubs. The most famous. Right. But that's my uncle. I'm named on him. But our behavior. Oh, that's your middle name? Ernest, yes. Oh, amazing. No, no, yeah, yeah, you know. So what was he like? Wonderful, you know. I mean, He was wonderful. a nice guy? He's a nice guy in public, but we had a discipline about us doing something special for America. Right. Well, he had a he was in a position of great responsibility. Well, he was like perhaps, seventeen right. years old. Right. A young and they celebrity. they had to psychologically um, observe him for him right. to be. He's from the Negro League at fifteen, sixteen. Right. And uh, you know, I mean, fathers did the same thing. We had to like. Do this shit like a Belafonte. Okay. You know, like uh, my fathers did shit like Belafonte. My my grandfather did shit like They would say shit to us. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Belafonte, you know, he had this place in town, this this building that he bought. Here in New York. In New York. In, uh, Harry in Belafonte. In like the early, yeah, in the in the uh, late 50s when he had the day, daylight coming and he was the sure. biggest. Yeah. So he went to look for an apartment, and they were hesitant about giving him an apartment. He called his accountant, and he said, well, how much does that, that house, the building cost? They're like, oh, you know, it's like a million or something. He's like, how much am I worth? Five million. Buy the, buy the house. So the guy that was like worried about, now he's fired. And Harry Belafonte owns the whole building. Right. So that's where we come from. And we don't care if it's black or white or whatever, you know? Uh, I don't know if you call it mobbed up or whatever. Like, I come from a mob up. I mean, I've been mobbed up probably since the 20s or something. Right. Like, we killed a lot of Ku Klux Klan members. My, Did you? My uncles, yeah. I mean, that that part of history is... Uh, no, I we can't, I couldn't them. be more we fascinated our own town. Right. What Tyler, Texas was was basically my my family's town. 
So what part of Texas is that? That's west, I mean east Texas, right? It's close Deep to Beaumont? East. Yeah, it's right. like the border. I've been to Beaumont many times. Well, I'm so. talking about the border. The border Tyler. with what? With Louisiana. Louisiana. Tyler, Texas. I'm very, I know, I'm, I know I've. Because, I mean, it well, was just a block, but my uncle's owned right. the whole town. Right, I gotcha. And, you know, I mean. So do you remember, did they, as a kid, did they I, tell I you any stories? I remember babysitting me. No. They didn't tell you stories of killing, like, uh, well, like we're going to, uh, let me, Johnny, I'm going to sit you did. down and tell no, you the story about did. when they we killed some Ku Klux Klan guys. Yeah, no, I mean, they did. No, they did. Actually, you know, I mean, through our history, because we were mulattoes, and so the cousins that had the other town. Which was what? Oh, I don't even know. Okay. You know? That's not well, whatever. Good. The other town, they told us Ku Klux Klan's coming to get you. Uh-huh. And my my uncles were prominent. They owned their right. their own land. They owned their, they owned the town, basically. Right. The, the the general store. This is the thirties. And uh there was a ridge that they went through, Ku Klux Klan, and they had told them like a day or two before. Right. And so my uncles had these Model Ts. This uh-huh. is the '30s, and they fucking killed. They was a is is gangland. Wow. And then you know when my mom was a kid, she would drive by the ran the, the the ranches next to our family, and they'd be like guys with no noses, sitting on the benches. Not like they're fucking professors. They're fucking hillbilly white people, and she no would tell me that. You know, uh, he don't. He has like they had uh, cardboard noses. Okay. She was like, "Oh yeah, he's from the clan that came to get us that night." You know. And they got their nose cut off. Oh, well, they got they and got they shot off or something. Yeah, you know, they sat up and there was a ridge. This, you know, I mean, my behavior, which I'm working on, it comes from uh, generations of like free, not free, but like yo, you know. Don't hate on the Indians. Yeah, the Indians are going to come in the middle of the night. And okay. you can't take shit, you know. And Texas really isn't America, really. Right. Like, you know, there was a fucking big fight for Texas. Right, right. And I'm from Texas. Right. And I'm from, uh, you know, so we're not working with the system. And I feel innately that the, when they see me walk in the room with the the custom suits and everything. I mean, the guys that just call me movie stars, right. they're coming to hang, but they know, okay, well, he's probably the baddest guy in East Village or he's one of the best guys I know. That's a great guy, great piano player. Oh, Johnny Cash. Okay. I yeah. mean, I actually, Johnny Cash sent me money for like two months. What do you mean? His, his daughter was a friend of mine. Calling cash, mm-hmm. and she was like, "Okay, they need money." Fucking calling cash. Called his father, her father, and he fucking put a check every week in the mail for Johnny Edwards. Wow. To fuck yeah. To so, just help you float you or something. Help float you? me, right? Creole boy. He's Creole. You know, Johnny Cash's first wife was black. Oh, I, you know what? I, did? I guess I didn't really know that. No one knows it. Hmm. Some family shit. You know, his first wife was black as a fucking... She was Creole. Black. Amazing. Interesting. Before June Cash, right. 
his wife. I mean, that motherfucker comes from where we come from. Yeah, yeah. Huh. The blurry shit. Your family are from... Hungary. Hungary. Budapest. Yeah. So you understand how it can get mixed up. Sure. Johnny Cash's well, I get wife... I mistaken for all types of stuff. Johnny Cash's wife, his first wife, is black. Right. And beautiful. And lived a great life. And still is alive. Lives really? in Santa Barbara. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, man. Motherfuckers are sleeping on the real history of America. Right. Well, one thing I would love to, for a moment, talk about, because when we were, that first night that we were hanging out, uh, we were kind of, we you know, kind of going back to the Black Rock Coalition thing, but by, <laughs> well, by they, chance. They brought me in. A guy named Bevis Griffin brought me in. Okay. And I got there, and I had, I'm like, uh, for even the Black Rock Coalition, I'm too much. Right, but there's a there's an artist that I admire very much that recently passed away that like, by chance I brought him up, but Chuck Mosley. He's know. my best friend. He lived with me since we were like 12 years old. Right. We with, moved out of my house. He, I mean, he fucked me. He, I mean, he, last summer he fucked me. Well, he kind of was like a, you know, not doing I mean, that well. No, 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 he was, well, no, he could have, I mean, he was a guy, but he was... Wearing dresses, showing up at shows on that ecstasy, going to my townhouse. I had a townhouse on Central Park. Okay. And, I mean, when they got into the crack shit, I mean, when all the, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. And, I mean, all these guys came over to New York, and they thought they were California guys. And I'm not a California guy. Like, that's the thing. You know, we can go over California. Right. I was in California for, you know, 17 years. Right, sure. And my parents were only in California. We're not from there. Right. We was, I understand. I get where you're going with it. You yeah. know, I mean, but... So you're saying, what, something about California people coming to New York and, you and know, like, getting was turned out, getting too. spun out. Okay, right. But my mo- we had we had straight cash. Right. And so his parents were not going with Chuck shit. Okay. So they and kicked him out of the house. Uh, well, no, no, man. He was getting arrested. Right. And he was like in, you know, in jail. And my mom was like, we got to get Chuck out of jail. Then he had to call his mom and say, okay, Chuck's going to go into rehab over here. Like so many artists. And this was during Fake No More time? I mean, for people that no, don't know. Before he was, Fake No More. Okay, so for people it's that might not really realize this, he no, was no, the was original lead singer no of Fake No More. And... It was before Faith No More because we invented the sound. Well, your music harkens back to that vibe. There's a well, no, but, but, vibe. I'm, but I'm the last guy, which is wonderful because I get another. Uh, oh, I mean, I, I'm not jaded. I didn't really get on heroin, and I, right. you know, I had a beautiful uh, a, a Malaysian uh, wife and a French life, and I, I mean, because of my, because of my father. Right, uh, he was a Robert Mitchum guy. That was his friend. Mm. So privacy was what you do, and then you sing your song or sure. do your role, right. and that's it. You know, you meet your homeboy, you have beer. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, we don't do twenty-four hour. Yeah, it's hard, a job. Of abuse. Yeah. Now, what was the song that Chuck shouts you out in the song, right? Yeah, song, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. My man Chuck should shout me out every night. And Chuck, 
What sad thing is I what's saw the lyric? Chuck. No, but what's the lyric in Anton? Can you remember it right now? Uh, here comes Johnny. He always loves a party. Right. He's followed by Vinny, who? who's feeling kind of skinny. Right. But it's mobsters. Basically, it's two mobsters. Like That's a real the person? The Yeah, yeah. You we're mobsters. Right. We're, I'm a real mobster. Right. I'm it's a followed real by mobster. Vinny. Um, and then what was it? there's another then there's like a female he mentions too after that I don't no. know man I mean I just forget <laughs> it you know it's I, an amazing song and great music video too it's but it's one it of was the, one of the greatest videos of the time but I didn't even notice right I mean right. I don't even, I'm doing my thing when was the first time you heard that and they're like wow he shouted me out of this no song. man he should be on my dick he lived <laughs> in my house are you kidding me? I had to kick right. Chuck out, man. I had to kick Chuck out three months ago. Right, right. It's like, yo, man, I'm not really with sweaty, bald-headed white boys that don't have a change of clothes. Right. You're not coming to my house. Which is the guys that were, I guess, in his current yeah, bands. Right? Any of these dudes. I wrapped this shit up. Man, I've been Beverly Hills echelon since like 19-fucking-91. Right. And I've been, all my guys produce Eminem. I mean, uh, the kids that I that I was um, that I mean, that's the thing. My guys are the best in the business. So, who are you talking about specifically here? Oh, uh, 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 Fred Cash, Martha Redbone, uh, Mark Batson, uh-huh. um, uh, Donnie McCaslin, who produced the Bowie album. Uh-huh. They were in my band. Right. So when people ask me, "Yo, man, let's get the band together," right. I'm like, yeah, man, that's like ten thousand for an hour, right? Because they're you can't just pull them in. Black it. Star is my horn section, really. Yeah, wow. Yeah, but they, I, I, one of the things is me as a, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm a teacher, but I taught them how to behave when I got out of punk rock, and I right. said, yo, man, you niggas, you gotta pay. I and I went into Elitonian. No, I went in Elitonian behavior. I mean, I studied Elitonian behavior. Yeah. So I think that's a good uh, kind of segue into the end of the conclusion of this particular conversation. And Johnny and I will definitely pick it up um, and have another conversation in the near future. I'm going to end this show with a little bit of music. I thought that it might be kind of appropriate to play Anne's song, a favorite of mine from the Chuck Mosley era of Faith No More. So there's a lyric in the song in which he's talking specifically about Johnny Edwards. And I think Johnny sometimes might not acknowledge his, um, you know, involvement, or it was kind of maybe hard for us to understand uh, because a lot of his work and stuff has sort of been behind the scenes. It's not really been documented in any kind of tangible way, but there's many, many connections to his life And he has a fascinating story that I hope I can get a little bit more fleshed out in another conversation coming up. You have been listening to The Houseless Podcast. My name is Peter Agostin. Make sure you hit that subscribe button no matter where you listen to podcasts. This episode has been edited and engineered by CJ Stewart. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful week. And we will be back next week with a brand new episode of this Houseless Podcast. All right, let's check this out. One of my favorite songs from Faith No More to... I thought this was a nice bookend to this a unique conversation with the one and only irreplaceable Johnny Edwards.
been bugging you since the day I was born, huh? I asked my friend Anne about it. He said, Yeah.